Merry Christmas, everyone. Today, I want you all to be able to go on a journey with me. I want you all to be able to travel back in time and put yourselves in the original Christmas story. I want you all to be able to look around and see what would have been seen. I want you all to be able to feel what would have been felt on that first Christmas. Can we all do that today? Okay, good. So this Advent, we have been exploring the theme, Christmas for the rest of us. We have talked about longing, hope, love, and today we are going to be talking about peace. By the end of this whole thing, I want you all to be able to feel the peace that would have been overwhelming. Today we're going to read our scripture twice. We're going to read it once now and then once at the end. My hope this morning is that by the second time that we read it, you will hear it in a different way. And it will give you the same peace that I believe it would have given to everybody on that first Christmas. The scripture for today is Mary's song, also known as the Magnificat. It's the song that Mary sings in the midst of the stress and anxiety as she heads into that first Christmas. But I don't want today's scripture to come from my voice. Oftentimes when we read the text on the page, we forget that there are people involved with different voices, different roles, and different emotions. We forget that Mary was nothing more than a 12 or 13-year-old girl. So today, my friend Lainey is going to read our scripture for us. So we hear the scripture in a more accurate voice. It comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hunger with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So if we are going to talk about Christmas for the rest of us, then we must know what Christmas was like. We must know what Christmas day was like when Jesus was born. So today, we're going to do some history. If you like history, congrats, today's your day. If you don't like history, not changing what I'm saying, so sorry. <laughs> but I think that this is vital for us to understand Christmas. Because we love the nativity scene with the manger and the donkeys. We love the story of the wise men where they brought Jesus, the three famous gifts of an iPhone, AirPods, and concert tickets. We love the imagery of the star. But to fully appreciate 
what happens in just three days, we have to know what was really going on. We must know what the world was like in the story. We need to see what Luke wanted us to see. So what was it like in the time of the birth of Jesus? Well, the world was ruled by the Roman Empire. They came to rule by war. War after ruthless war. Brutality. Killing. Taking over everything they saw. They had a saying that said they wanted their empire to go as far to the east as you could go and as far to the west as you could go. The Roman Empire was ruled by a series of Caesars. Julius Caesar is the most famous, and he ruled by committee. He had governors and parliaments and senates and a lot of people in place that helped him decide things to help rule this empire. His son Octavius or Caesar Augustus came to rule after him, and he did something new. He did something revolutionary. He wanted the entire world under him. He wanted everyone under one singular ruler. No parliament, no senate. The world had one authoritarian. Now, Augustus ruled over this vast empire. People said that he was God in flesh. Temples were built to him. Sacrifices were made. They called him the one who is to come. They called him the divine king of salvation. And then in 17 BCE, a strange star appeared, and it caught everyone's attention. Augustus believed that this was proof that him and Julius were heaven sent. He believed that he had brought the climax of human history to fruition. So he began a 12-day celebration called the 12 Days of Advent. Now, it's not as commonly known, but this was also believed to be the time they would bring silly little gag gifts and do a white elephant party. <laughs> not really. But if you are Caesar and you rule over this vast empire, eventually you can't do it by yourself. If something happens 2,000 miles away from where you are, you can't get there to solve it. So to help Caesar rule, he started to appoint kings. These were just puppet kings, and they were supposed to simply rule as Caesar would rule. So in Israel, Augustus found a young warrior named Herod and appointed him king. Now Herod was stalker-level obsessed with Augustus. So Herod would build all of these elaborate things because he just wanted the Caesar to notice him. But there was a practical problem with all this empire-spreading and elaborate building. When you're Caesar and you want to expand your empire, what does that take? Money. If you're Herod and you want to build all these elaborate things, what does that take? Money. It was estimated that the people in Jesus' time were being taxed at 80 to 90%, and there was nothing that they could do about it. You opposed Caesar? Dead. You opposed Herod? Dead. Families were being beaten down and forced into poverty 
then more poverty, then more poverty. They were being systematically shrunk, and there was no way out of it. So here we come to Christmas. Caesars, kings, poverty, despair, frustration, anger. Caesar wants to know how big his empire is, so he ordered a census. He wanted to count exactly how many people he ruled. So families were displaced and they had to go back to their hometown. Now all of this was happening in that 12-day celebration. So the town would have been abuzz with the propaganda and the reminders that were circulated. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. You could hear it everywhere that you went. It was the drumbeat in the air. It was the constant for that time of year. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. And then we get to Luke. Luke begins by setting the stage that we are in the time of Caesar Augustus with Herod as king. That would have spoken to the reader. That would have automatically put some anxiety and some stress into people. Luke is telling us a story, but he's letting us know from the beginning that this is a story on top of another story. He begins by putting into our minds and reminding us of the poverty, the oppression, the anger, the fear, the systematic throat stepping that the world operated on. He starts by reminding us of the money that had been taken, the wars that never stopped, the family members that had been killed for disobeying. He's reminding us of the constant Caesar is Lord, Herod is king. Caesar is Lord, Herod is king. He's saying that this is the story that was happening at the time of the birth of Jesus. He's saying this is the oppression that people were feeling. This is the lives that people were living. But then he starts to tell another story. And he says, in an oppressed corner of this massive empire, with an audience of shepherds and of animals, with an audience of people that have gotten the raw end of the deal time and time again, with an audience of people like you and like me, in a world that doesn't have the decency to put someone up in a hotel, but instead cast them to the streets to live like the animals, Luke says, there's a baby. There's a baby. The world is ringing with the mantra that Caesar is Lord. But suddenly there are people starting to talk. Hey, have you heard? Jesus is Lord. The world is ringing with the mantra, Herod is king. But then people are starting to talk. Hey, have you heard? Jesus is king. And suddenly the scripture starts to pick up the pace. And Matthew is pounding you with the question, who is king? Is Herod king? Is Jesus king? And on the other side, Luke is pounding you with the question, who is Lord? Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? From the very beginning, we are getting two stories of two empires pitted against each other. From the very beginning, we are hearing that the drumbeat in the air is starting to change. We can see that something new is starting to happen. And it is Christmas for the rest of us because God keeps showing up to the rest of us. God shows up to Mary. God shows up to Joseph, to the wise men, 
to the shepherds, to the oppressed, not to Herod. God doesn't show up to Caesar, but God is showing up to everyone who is down on their luck, everyone who is struggling to stay afloat, everyone who has the foot of an empire on their neck and they feel like they can't stand up. God is showing up to the people who feel like they can't ever win despite doing the right thing. God is showing up to the people who are unaccepted, uninvited, and unwanted. God is showing up in the middle of a world that is screaming from the top of their lungs that Caesar is Lord, Herod is king. But then in the corner of the empire, there's a poor, oppressed little 13-year-old Jewish girl who has no control over anything that says, no, not anymore. There's a new Lord, there's a new king, and Caesar doesn't win anymore. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Can you see the peace that Mary's song describes? Can you feel the peace that an entire empire would have felt? Can you see the peace that we are still longing for today? That's why we light these Advent candles, because we are still longing for that same peace. Herod, Caesar, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant when God is here. Because God sees. God's been watching you get stepped on. God's been watching you get beaten down. God's been watching you struggle to survive. So in three days on Christmas morning, God shows up in human history. God shows up in flesh and in blood. And God says, enough is enough. God says, I've seen the end of the story, and it's all okay. I want us to end our service today longing for more, longing for what is coming in just three days. So I want you all to take a few minutes and to reflect. I want you all to ask yourselves the questions, where are you in this Christmas story? Where in your lives do you need the peace of Jesus to show up? The peace that only a new king can give. And how can you live out that peace in a new way?